Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, October 7th. We begin with a look at the economic recovery in our province amidst the pandemic. We get details on a new study from Pierre Clouroux, Chief Economist for BDO. Next, have you been following all the COVID rules but you still caught a cold? How is that possible? We put the question to an epidemiologist. This is HPV Awareness Week. We look at how the campaign will look this year going virtual and learn about the resources available in our nation to battle the disease. And finally, the music world was rocked yesterday with news of the passing of guitar legend Eddie Van Halen. We look back at Van Halen's career with a tribute from our brother station, Q107. Six forty-three now, and at uh, six forty-three, the Business Development Bank of Canada today releasing a new survey of five hundred Alberta and Saskatchewan business owners to discuss the findings. We're joined by Pierre Clairou, BDC's chief economist. Good morning to you, Pierre. Good morning. It has been a tumultuous time, so I'm wondering within this survey, what have you found? What have been the biggest challenges for our businesses over the past six months? Well, the last six months has been difficult, as you know, uh, for a small and mid-sized firm. Uh, they lost revenue. Um, half of them have to make some layoff. They uh, took more debt. So the, the situation has been difficult. But what we, we find in our um, research is uh, they, they are quite resilient and they are taking action. They're ch- even changing, some of them are changing the business model to, re- to respond to this uh, difficult situation. We find two things that are helping businesses. The first one is uh, diversification when they are present in more di- different markets or if they uh, change their line of product to, be, uh, to have access to more sectors or more markets. Uh, they, uh, they succeed better. Second is a lot of companies are investing in technology now to help them to reduce their costs, to increase their presence online, to be able to have more people working from home. So te- there's really a momentum in investing in technology. Pierre, let's talk a little bit. Uh, obviously, it's been a difficult time for so many businesses moving into the pandemic and then through it. But let's look to the positives. And uh, are there some areas that you found that are, are opportunities for Alberta businesses right now? Well, the online business is definitely one. The uh, You know, the online business has doubled since uh, February. Uh, consumers are, they, they want to buy more online, first of all, because it's safe. Uh, a lot of uh, people believe that, uh, you know, it's safer to, obviously, it's safer to buy f- from your own computer than to go to a shop or to a shopping mall right now. So the online business is really accelerating. This, the pandemic has really made a difference in, in there. And businesses who are taking advantage of that are performing better. And the good thing about the online business is not only you can sell, you know, you, you can establish a business in Calgary, you can sell in the region, but you can sell around the world as well. So this is, uh, you know, even if you're a small business, you have access to a huge market. So this is one area where businesses can really make a difference in terms of growing their business, even if we are in a difficult economic situation right now. Pierre, did the survey look at optimism from the business owners in Alberta and Saskatchewan and uh, as far as what they are, uh, you know, considering the turnaround and, and how far that might be? Well, people are a little bit less optimistic in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan. There's about 30% who said 
that they're quite optimistic about their business, but 30% is not a very high, high numbers. So obviously the situation has been difficult. Uh, you know, as there was a pandemic, but also the oil price is low. So this is uh, kind of a double uh, hit for, uh, for businesses. But as the economy is improving, uh, we, uh, we believe that uh, people are going to get more optimistic. In terms of the, the time frame, um, it's going to take at least another year before we see a full recovery. Um, you know, uh, and I think we'll see a full recovery before we have a vaccine. So, you know, tourism will be uh, allowed to, to come back. And also, as um, it's going to take some time before the oil price goes back to, to normal or at least to the pre-crisis level, it's going to take at least a year as well. So we're still going to have a slow economy for the next year. But after that, we should do much better. Well, there are great resources on your website. We're going to send people to that. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate the information. Thank you. That's Pierre Clouroux, who is the Business Development Bank of Canada's chief economist. And for those resources, go to their website, bdc.ca. 647, it's helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Only one traffic light from the mountains. Watch for some wet road conditions this morning, especially through the north part of the city. Luckily, though, it's not impacting volume too much. We're still sitting delay-free on Deerfoot Trail through both the northeast and southeast. I'm also still seeing a 10-minute drive on southbound Crowchild from Stony Trail down towards the river. And Glenmore Trail running at about 8 minutes eastbound from Sarcy Trail out towards Deerfoot. Earn PC Optimum points even faster when you fuel up on premium gasoline with your PC Financial MasterCard at Esso Stations. Visit pcfinancial.ca slash gas for details. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. We're trying to connect with an epidemiologist uh, from the University of Ottawa to talk about uh, this the craziest thing ever. We, we've heard of the impact, by the way, of the flu season in Australia being greatly kind of chopped it off at the legs mm-hmm. because of the social distancing and the measures we've had in place. But I know in my home, um, between my wife and my two daughters, I'm last man standing. Everybody had the sore throat, the runny nose, and the cold. But so, no COVID. Just... No. And actually, they've had the tests to prove it. Okay. So. Uh, we're going to try to dig to the bottom of the question. We're doing everything. How do we get the measly colds? Ugh. Is it just human? Pesky it, thing. I think it just is, we right? We have to, like, you know, bottom line it that we're going to get colds. And we know masks are not 100% effective, right? Yeah. So there are going to be those nasty little germs that get in for sure. Um, hey, and that uh, is good news. We've managed to f- track down our yeah. epidemiologist. So. so let's put the question to our epidemiologist. Uh, how could someone get a cold while following COVID rules? How can it make it past all the precautions uh, that we've been taking uh, taking to stay safe? To join uh, to join us to tell us more is epidemiologist and professor at the University of Ottawa, Dr. Raywat Dianandran. Do I got that right, Dianandran? Yeah, that's close. Oh, around. my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I won a prize. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. And I'm sure in your line of work, as we've moved into cold and flu season, you've had this question. Have you not? Many times. Mm-hmm. Many times, yeah. So is is there an easy answer to it? Because I feel like we've done more than we ever have as far as mm-hmm. washing our hands and staying home. It's a little mysterious. and I don't really have an answer except to say that... Um, uh, the colds and COVID are, are 
are transmitted in different ways. So we know with COVID, it's mostly droplet transmission. That's the stuff that comes out of your lungs and falls within two meters. A little bit's aerosol. That's the stuff that lingers in the air a little bit longer. And maybe a tiny bit is what we call fomite transmission. That's when you touch a surface and somebody else touches the surface. That's why you wash your hands. But with the common cold, it's a lot of surface transmission. So what I suspect is going on when it comes to people getting the cold and not COVID is maybe we're being a, less, a little less circumspect about how we touch surfaces. However, I'm hearing from people who like wash their hands diligently all the time and they seem to be getting the cold as well. So I doubly suspect that it's not the cold, it's probably allergies. Oh. I know I have hor- horrible allergies and I haven't got the cold and, uh, or COVID for that matter and I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. So it's confusing symptom-wise and it's confusing transmission-wise. So a lot of questions still out there. Doctor, what about those anti-maskers out there who would say then, well, we're wearing masks and it's clearly doing nothing. We're still all getting sick. So what do you say to that? Well, what's the goal here? The goal here is to reduce community transmission of one specific disease, COVID-19, and maybe the flu as well. And because we know that droplet transmission is the major way of, of conveying that disease, mask wearing definitely works. The modeling studies come out recently show that it does actually measurably decrease transmission. So uh, if you're worried about the common cold, maybe masks won't do anything. If you're worried about the flu and COVID, I think it does do something. Very interesting because, uh, you know, we've called our kids for years little germ factories. So <laughs> when it comes to the cold, we usually say, you know what, I, I notice it when we go back to school, the kids go back to school, and then we get cold. So can, can we blame our kids, if you have children, that is, or somebody else's kids? You can always blame your kids for everything. <laughs> oh, okay. That's true. It's, that's why we have them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not washing their hands. They're touching their faces a lot. I mean, maybe you and I are washing our hands all the time, but they are probably not doing so. Plus, they have a lot more social contact than adults mm. do. So they have a lot more opportunities for transmission. And they're more likely to be asymptomatic. So, um, in fact, a lot of, uh, maybe a quarter of people with the cold never get symptoms. And so you may have it, not know it, and give it to someone who's trying to be diligent and yet... Um, you know, they get, uh, they get it from being breathed upon or being touched. Do we, uh, you know, we hear a lot of people saying with the antibacterial soaps, et cetera, that that is sort of, uh, you know, bringing down our, our uh, natural immunity to, to ward off these things. Do you think that has anything to do with being able to now catch the cold or, or the flu this year with the fact that we're, we are using so much antibacterial stuff and, and uh, you know, all the cleaning well, and everything that we're doing these days? Okay, the two different things going on there. So first of all, um, the cold, the flu, and COVID are all viruses. They're not bacteria. Antibacterial soap, that is specifically antibacterial, treats, you know, bacteria. So they're not, not related at all. But there's something to be said for our hygienic lifestyles that maybe have over the long term diminished our immune response to a degree. It's unclear. There's somebody suggesting that places where there's less hygienic control have fewer allergies for example. But that's not the same saying that washing your hands now will diminish your immunity over the next, you know, many years. And then the things we do right now in the next few months to combat this pandemic will not impact our immune systems noticeably. Okay. Um, we're, we're talking about like, like decades of stuff <laughs> yeah. that may, you know, have no challenge to your immune system. I'm, I'm, I'm fond of telling people, if you've got a dog that licks your face, if you open your window and breathe fresh air, if you go for a walk in the park, you're inhaling all kinds of challenges to your immune system that keeps it pretty healthy. So don't be concerned about washing your hands that often. It's not going to diminish your ability to receive and accept an immune challenge. Doctor, with all the changes over the past six or seven months and, uh, you know, so much unknown, 
it could be stressful. So I'm wondering what role stress plays. If we're stressed, does it make it easier for us to get a cold? Yeah, there's a strong uh, correlation in literature with stress levels and diminished immune response. It has to do with cortisol levels and other kinds of hormonal responses. And it's linked to lack of sleep, restful sleep, rejuvenative sleep. So our inability to rest and to recover uh, incrementally diminishes our capacity to mount strong responses to all kinds of threats to our health. So, of course, we want to reduce our stress levels. But it's, it's weird because exercise is stressful. So we want to also have exercise but not have too much exercise that you're actually, you know, diminishing your, your ability to fight off germs. So um, emotional stress, physical stress are intermingled, and lack of sleep is uh, part of that. Doctor, your thoughts on the flu shot. Uh, are you recommending that we all get it this year as just, you know, another barrier to, to getting sick and maybe weakening our, our immune system for perhaps COVID? Should it come near us? So the reason I highly recommend the flu vaccine is not that it makes you stronger against COVID. It takes you out of the picture with our diminishing healthcare capacity. Every year, flu patients eat up a lot of ICU beds. People aren't aware of that because we can't take it for granted. But the flu kills thousands of people every year and hospitalizes a great many as well. So if we don't have to deal with those flu people this semester, this semester, I'm yeah. an educator, obviously, this <laughs> season, then then we have more capacity to deal with COVID patients. So that's the reason I'm advocating for the flu. And also, um, the flu symptoms are similar to COVID symptoms, and that's creating all kinds of chaos in the testing center. So again, take those cases off the table, do your part, get the flu shot, make life easier for everybody. You know, uh, Dr. Mom will tell you that uh, chicken noodle soup is a cure for the cold. <laughs> um, is, does that have any relevance, or what should we be doing if we, we do get a cold? You know, there is some evidence that there's something like chicken noodle soup that may actually be helpful. I don't remember the exact details, but I was stunned by that revelation. If you get a cold, as always, it's rest and rejuvenation. So eat well, get a lot of rest, eat a lot of fluids, drink a lot of fluids. Um, there's something to do with, you know, the cold weather, the lack of humidity diminishes our ability to produce appropriate mucus that heightens, you know, our, the ability of virus to get inside your system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of stuff going on. So um, just eat well rest drink fluids would you say your last and final words doctor wash your hands is that the key as we head forward into this cold flu covid season yeah for the cold absolutely and for covid keep your distance perfect thank you so much for joining us always appreciate your time thank you that's dr raywat dion anden who is an epidemiologist and a prof at the university of ottawa it is 617. Time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main streets highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. Definitely seeing some delays on the Trans-Canada Highway just between Stony Trail and Old Banff Coach Road. There is ongoing construction there, a big speed restriction, and then also the lane realignment as you get closer to Old Banff Coach Road. Once you get onto 16th Avenue, though, eastbound lanes from that point from COP out towards Foothills Hospital, that's running delay-free. Also expect a 10-minute drive on southbound Crochell Trail from Stony Trail down towards the Bow River. And both John Laurie Boulevard and Country Hills Boulevard running problem-free out towards 14th Street as you leave the Hamptons, Arbor Lake, and and Citadel up in the northwest. Deerfoot Trail also running smoothly as you come off the QE2 from Airdrie all the way down towards Memorial. Earn PC Optimum points faster with PC Financial MasterCard at SO and Mobile Stations. You can earn at least 30 points per liter. Visit pcfinancial.ca slash gas. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Brady Howard.
It is HPV Prevention Week. What is HPV and how does it lead to cancer? To get some answers, we're joined this morning by Dr. Vivian Brown, Chair and Co-Founder of HPV Prevention Week in Canada. Good morning, Dr. Brown. Good morning, Sue. It's so nice to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's kind of one of those uh, things that almost goes under the radar until you find out your kids, you know, potentially could be getting a vaccination at school. And then people wonder, what the heck is this HPV? Right. So HPV is the human papillomavirus, and about 80% of adults will have had HPV at some point in their life. What we now have is a vaccine to prevent HPV, and we know that HPV, the virus, is associated with cervical cancer, head and neck cancers like throat cancers, anal cancer, vaginal cancer, penile cancers. So the goal is to immunize the population, particularly young children at this point, school-age children, before they're exposed to any partners so that we prevent them from getting HPV and therefore prevent them from getting those cancers. So if you can clarify a bit, uh, you know, Dr. Brown, uh, you say that 80% of, uh, you know, the adults will have it at some point, uh, but maybe not to that severity. How does this work? Because that number seems fairly high. Yeah, so 80% of people will have the virus at some point, and most of us clear the virus the way we clear a common cold. It's only about 20% of us that have persistent HPV, and it is persistent HPV that goes on to different kinds of cancers. Unfortunately, we don't know why some people clear it so easily and other people don't. And so by immunization, we're going to decrease the rate of HPV in the general population, and that way we protect everybody. Doctor, is it always sexually transmitted, this virus? Um, It is a sexually transmitted virus, but we know that the virus lives on, uh, like it lives on your fingertips, for example. So you you don't have to have uh, intercourse, you don't have to have full-out sex in order to pass the virus. And that's why, yes, we tell everyone that you decrease your risk of sexually transmitted diseases by using condoms, but even if you're just having intimate touching, uh, you could be passing the virus. Of course, Sue alluded to the fact that, uh, you know, we, and in my case particularly, got the notices brought to the house that my daughters were being offered the HPV uh, vaccination. And I'm wondering if this year uh, it's going to be different because the pandemic changed schooling, you know, from months back even with the homeschooling. Has the schedule changed or is it still going to be offered up uh, to your knowledge in the school systems? You know, in each area of the country, things are being done a little bit differently. And so in Alberta right now, it depends on the public health care unit. And uh, what I would say is if it's being offered in the school, that's great. You want your child to take it. And this is for boys and girls. This is not a vaccine just for girls anymore. Um, and if the school is not able to give the, the vaccine, there'll probably be information from your public health unit to uh, get the vaccine from your healthcare professional, from the person that is in charge or it's covering you for primary care. You know, it's an unusual year because of COVID, and Mm -hmm. we know that public health everywhere across the country are working very hard. And so the school system, in terms of vaccination, may not be as robust as it has been in previous years. That doesn't mean our children shouldn't be immunized. We absolutely want and need the younger women and men to be immunized so that they are protected. And Alberta has been great because what Alberta decided in May of this year is that public health insurance coverage for HPV would, would extend up to men and women to age 26. 
and that's the most broad coverage of any other province. So we know that HPV doesn't just stop in childhood. It doesn't just, it doesn't just need to be vaccinated in the school program. As we get older, we still are having exposure. And so we really do want to increase the uptake of immunization in the general population. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it goes beyond school age people, school age kids, obviously. So up to age twenty six, meaning Alberta Health will cover it up we'll to age twenty six. Up to age twenty six, there's no upper age limit according to our national guidelines. There's no upper age limit for taking the vaccine. If you say are thirty five or forty, are going to be with a new partner, maybe your your previous relationship finished, or someone got divorced or died. If you're going to have exposure, you should be immunized. And that's true for men and women. So there's no upper age limit, but generally the school-based programs across the country are trying to immunize young people before they've had any exposure and while their immune system is most robust, which it is in younger, younger people. Dr. Brown, you mentioned, and in, in my experience, I, my school-aged children are just girls in my house. So I was unaware that it was just the girls back in the day. So it sounds to me like there's been a change and the boys perhaps weren't vaccinated before. Exactly, Andrew. When the, when the vaccine was first launched, most of the research was on cervical cancer. And so it was first launched for girls. Um, But we were doing research on boys as well, boys and men. And in 2010, it became clear that we should be vaccinating both girls and boys in order to get a better effect in the herd, in the general population. And Canada's been great. Like Australia, we offer immunization to boys and girls in the school system. And that has the greatest pickup. So in Australia, they've already been able to announce that they will likely be the first country in the world to be able to say that they are eliminating cervical cancer as a public health issue if their vaccine rates continue at the rate that there is. And we in Canada need to do the same. By immunizing boys and girls, there's less HPV in the community. And as that age group gets older, we'll be seeing less cancers. So it's very exciting because we have a vaccine that not only prevents a disease, you know, measles vaccines presents, prevents measles, but we have a vaccine that prevents a cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's really quite incredible. It truly is. So it's a vaccine. You only need to get it once in your life. It's, it's actually two shots, uh, and you would get that at age under 14. Um, if you're older than 14, it's three shots. But once you finish the series, and it is a series like hepatitis vaccine is a series, um, then you're done. You don't, you don't need further immunization for this. Full details at Canada, uh, vshpv.ca? Right, Canada versus HPV, that's the website. And, you know, as part of the Federation of Medical Women of Canada, we launched this program in 2017 with all party approval in, in, from Ottawa. And Canada is the first country in the world to have a week of discussing HPV, talking about HPV prevention, and educating the general public. So we're really excited about this because we are a world leader. Other countries have now copied us in the last couple of years, um, but we've had a great initiative, and I think we're doing some great work. Important to keep talking about it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Brown. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Sue. That's, Best wishes to everybody. You Take too. Care. That's Dr. Vivian Brown, past president of the Federation of Medical Women of Canada and chair and co-founder of HPV Prevention Week in Canada. Again, it's Canada versus VS HPV.ca. Time now for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master plan community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. 
Collision now cleared at 16th Avenue and 6th Street through the northeast. Also cleared of delays on Deerfoot, Glenmore, and Crowchild Trails. All routes moving smoothly. I am seeing some delays popping up, though, on southbound 14th Street due to construction at 5th Avenue Northwest. The backups are extending up towards about Sate right now. It'll be a few extra minutes to get through there, but once you do, you have a problem-free drive into the Beltline. 17th Avenue still undergoing various right lane closures to accommodate physical distancing between 14th Street and McLeod Trail, so just keep an eye out for that. And construction continues on southbound 5th Street at 10th Avenue Southwest for the underpass. You're going to see a right lane closure there until November. Earn PC Optimum points even faster when you fuel up on premium gasoline with your PC Financial MasterCard at SO Stations. Visit pcfinancial.ca slash gas for details. For the 770 CHQR Traffic Helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. That is uh, Panama, uh, Sue Diel's favorite mm-hmm. Van Halen song. And, of course, playing as much Van Halen as we can on the air this morning, and I'm sure in your living rooms, kitchens, and then the car, with news yesterday that rocked the music world. Uh, Eddie Van Halen passing away at the age of 65, succumbing to cancer that he'd battled for years. We asked you about your Van Halen memories. we got some great text. Here's one. Saw Van Halen four times over the years, all with Diamond Dave fronting. Still have my ticket stub from, uh, ticket stub from September 1979. It was $11 wow. at Northland's Coliseum in Edmonton when Van Halen was still playing bars in Pasadena. Here's a fun note. He'd face the back of the stage because all the local guitar wannabes were trying to steal his guitar licks to steal his moves. So the one here, the Eruption song, which is just a, an incredible solo. Mm-hmm. It says, remember... Eruption was just him warming up, a thing he did, and it was one of the record producers who said, that has to go on the album. Wow. Well, in honor of Eddie Van Halen, we'd like to share with you a tribute put together by our friends at our brother station, Q107. to drums, then finally to guitar, he would go to form his first band with his brother Alex when Eddie was just in the fourth grade. Eddie and Alex would continue to make music together through their teens, through college, and for the rest of their lives. In 1972, Van Halen was formed. In 1978, after the release of their first album, the world first took notice of Eddie Van Halen. Like that. 
like this, he'd record six different versions of the solos, okay, and then just start, move the channel, like here, turn this one on, turn this one off, turn this one on, turn this one, and then he'd have to go learn the solo. Wow. So you'll see his hand move from down here to up here and down there. <laughs> Thank you for the years of music, Eddie. You kept us running with the devil. You made us jump, dance the night away, and beat it. Today, right here, right now, we honor the life, music, and legacy of one of the greatest guitarists of all time, Edward Ludwig Van Halen, but you can call him Eddie. Does it make you nervous to be called like a guitar hero at all? People are putting on the cover of Guitar Player magazine, here he is, God. Do you feel a little odd about that sort of thing? It's, it's nice, but sometimes it's like, come on, you know, just a punk kid who plays guitar. Rest in peace.